The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Hey, Refuge Church. Do you ever feel stumped by the question, how are you doing today? Yes. Because... You want to offer the generally accepted answer of doing great, thanks. But then you've heard so many people say, you know what, how are you really doing? Like, as if you really aren't doing great, and the only way to truly tell someone about your life is to just spill forth cynicism. Right, just tell people how bad the world is. Well, this sermon series is a sermon series on Thanksgiving. And I think partly we need to do this too because do you guys feel like especially this year people are just overlooking Thanksgiving for Christmas? What's up with Christmas throw pillows being sold already? Well, we hope during the sermon series to help equip you to be warriors against cynicism and to be people who embrace the good memory of the gospel, that the gospel is a good memory that no matter what past pain or no matter what's happening in the present, that we can be people who give thanks in all situations. And so this week we're going to look at how fear and shame can be transformed into thanksgiving. Next week we're going to look at how denial and forgetfulness can be transformed into thanksgiving. And then we're going to go into how how when we experience good things like joy, how that can be turned into thanksgiving. Because I think some of us, we we experience amazing things, but then when when we come to God to give thanks for it, we We just don't know how to turn that amazing experience into a true expression of thanksgiving to the one who gives every good and perfect gift. Then at the very end, we're going to look at at how faith and hope can be transformed into thanksgiving. And so our hope in a God who has made incredible promises to us, looking forward to the fulfillment of those promises that might not yet be fulfilled in the present, but that we know because God is faithful will be fulfilled in the future, that we can give thanks for them right now. So what I want to start with today is is something that I think we can all relate with, which is this. Have you ever unintentionally got a child in trouble? Like, like you're at a, at a church potluck and this sweet child comes up to you and asks you if they can have a cookie. And, and you, you believe in the innocence of this child so you're like, well, of course. And so the child just stocks up. You know, they, they're, they're planning for the future. And so, and all of a sudden, you, oh, across the room, you hear their parents say, I told you no more cookies! Right? And then the child looks at you as if because of the permission you've given, you're the one that has betrayed them. Okay? The, the other experience is, is that of, of when a child comes up to you and you're, you're playing with something. Say you have like, I don't know, like you've, you've picked up a toy or something and, 
and the child comes up and they obviously want to play with that toy also or they want to they have whatever you have in your hands and so you're like, oh, would you like it? You can have it. And the child is delighted to have it. And so the child takes it from your hands and then turns away and all of a sudden the parent goes, what do you say? And, and the child's like, thank you. And you're like this simple interaction. And I get it. Like I do think kids should say thank you. But you know that, that like all of a sudden something beautiful has turned into this, this situation <laughs> that you've literally betrayed the trust of the child. Well, I think Thanksgiving is something that can be hard to do. You know, like, like that interaction with the child where the child like Okay, now, because I'm commanded, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be thankful. And I feel that oftentimes when, when I pray, and I, and, I, and I pray thanksgiving to God. I think a lot of us have learned different ways to pray or, or how to pray, because prayer, as simple as it sounds, people are like, just talking to God. And yet, yet you, you, you stop to pray, and all of a sudden, you're like, what do I, what do I say? And so people make like, acrostics and stuff like acts right prayer adoration confession thanksgiving supplication and and so if you try this you know we get on our knees and, and we're like okay I'm, I'm gonna adore god and so you're like god you're amazing and you know and then and then you're gonna be like okay now confession so you like switch gears you know I, am i the only one that does this and you like switch gears and you're like okay, what do I need to confess for, you know? And then you're like, Thanksgiving, and you're like, and there was some great stuff that happened today. And by the end, you're like, prayed. <laughs> but, but yet, we, I feel like I'm alone up here. I mean, like, are, are, we, are we in this together? Because I feel like at the end of, thank you, yes. Because at the end of that, we're like, did I really pray? Because I just felt like I was filling in a formula. So, so how do we really be a people who give thanks to God. Well, there's this interesting story um, in the scripture um, in Luke 18. It's known as the story of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the scene opens because uh, Jesus is explaining to Pharisees uh, who he's talking with at the time. He's explaining uh, who is justified before God. This is Luke 18, starting in verse 9. You can see it on the screen also. And he says this, To those who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, another a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted so it seems like all those who really understood God 
And, and I say all those because I'm going to share some examples, like this tax collector, are those that when they approach God, they realize that they're at the mercy of God. So, so what it would look like not to be at the, the mercy of God is to come and, and like this, this uh, Pharisee to, well, to say, well, God, let me tell you what I've done. Let me tell you, let me show you that I'm deserving. And yet those who really got the work of Jesus were those who cried out for mercy. I'm going to just read, these are, these are just in Matthew, these examples, but they're, throughout all the four Gospels, you get the same stories. Matthew nine twenty seven. it says, And Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling, Have mercy on me, son of David. Matthew fifteen twenty two. a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Matthew seventeen fifteen. when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him, Lord, have mercy on my son. Matthew twenty thirty one. and Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jer- Jericho, a large crowd followed him, two blind men by the roadside. When they heard Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And it says the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. What does it mean for them to cry out, to shout out for mercy? Well, it it literally was them begging that God would take notice of them. Because they knew they did not deserve it, but they, they simply wanted him to look at them. God, will you look at me? Will you notice me? Will you see me? I do not deserve this. Mercy is that you will be noticed. We, that that the, the person who you want, the, the God who you, you know alone can forgive would take notice of you. That, that is the request for mercy. Mercy is this interesting thing where it's always attached to the feeling, the feeling of compassion, the feeling of tenderness, that Jesus would look at them with Tenderness. That's what they were crying out for. And the reason why I'm talking about mercy is I, I literally could not like get past this idea of thanksgiving and mercy being connected together. And I think this is the case that some of us, since we have forgotten how to shout for mercy, we don't know how to say thank you. You see, isn't it interesting where um, when someone comes to know Jesus, they typically are a lot more vocal than us who have figured out how to do the, the church thing, right? Like, we're pretty good, we, we sit and we behave, you know. But, but when, <laughs> it's a, when someone first comes to know Jesus, they're sitting there and literally they like almost have to sit on their hands because they're like, they just want to like participate when they hear the gospel preached, right? Because they're like, the Lord's been good. Like he's been, he noticed me. And everyone's like, yeah, he noticed me a couple years ago, but uh, I mean, I'm just, Right? Like, like, and so we, like the people who told the blind men, shut up. Like, we're, like, we have forgotten what it looks like. That Jesus says in Matthew 9, this is amazing. It says, Jesus 
came to Matthew, a tax collector, and invited him to be his disciple. He said to this tax collector, follow me. And maybe this is the, maybe Matthew's the guy that Jesus was thinking about in the parable he told in Luke 18. I don't know, but he says, then Jesus was having dinner in Matthew's house. And the Pharisees came and they said, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus says, Right? It's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Do you desire mercy? And if you do not desire mercy, if you do not see the mercy God has given, that what you do not deserve, Jesus has still given, then it is impossible impossible to be thankful. Now I think some of us also, and you know, we're talking the first two weeks more about bad memories that can be turned into thanksgiving. I think some of us really know that we don't deserve mercy, and so even crying out for it can be very hard. I think we, we come under the feeling of, because there's fear and shame that we are, we just feel condemned. Like the words can't even come out of our mouth Jesus, son of David, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me because we just don't feel like we are deserving of that anymore. And so what I want to share today is a story that, um, that illustrates this so well. It's a story that many of you, you um, would know is the story of a legion. And the story of a legion is in, is in Mark 5. And it's, it's about a, a man who literally in the eyes of the world, has become a monster. Has become somebody who is, no, is, is beyond saving. And you'll see this in the story where it says, and they crossed the lake to the region of Gerasenes. And this is a, an area of where the Gentiles were. So this, this man presumably is, is not a Jew. Uh, when Jesus got out of the boat, uh, it says a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. An impure spirit can mean a couple things. It can be, uh, mean someone who hasn't fulfilled the law. It can also just mean someone who's been immoral. And so since this is uh, on the, the Gentile side of the water, my guess is it's just talking about someone who had really lost themselves to immorality, Right? says, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. And I think what we see there in, in having someone who can no longer be bound in chains is that everyone has like done their best to control him. Right? And I think we find those times in our lives where like, or, or we see people who it's like everyone's given it their best shot, but nothing worked. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. I would say no, no one and nothing was strong enough to subdue this, this strength that came from habitual impurity, right? From habitual immorality. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And I think this, verse 5, is, is so telling because here everyone else has lost hope in him, but what you see in this man is that he is in agony. He himself is in agony. He's, he's, he's crying out and he's, he's cutting himself. And yet, a complete, according to 
this story, according to his community, completely a lost cause. Now, I want to I read um, a parable for you guys to, to illustrate this. Because when I think of this man who is so tormented by an impure spirit, um, I think of in our days, what does this look like? What does it look like for someone because of immorality, an immoral spirit to be a lost cause? And there's this um, parable I read for the guys at Steel Cut a little while back. And this is a story. This will take a couple minutes. But I think this is really helpful in us relating with the story of Legion. And this is how the story goes. It says this, There once was a great and noble king whose land was terrorized by a crafty dragon. Like a massive bird of prey, the scaly beast delighted in ravaging the villages with its fiery breath. Hapless victims ran from their burning houses only to be snatched by the dragon's jaws. Those devoured instantly were deemed more fortunate than those carried back to the dragon's lair. The king led his sons and knights in many valiant battles. Riding alone in the forest, one of the king's sons heard his name purred low and soft. In the shadow of the ferns, curled among the boulders, lay the dragon. The creature's heavy lidden eyes fastened on the prince and the reptilian mouth stretched into a friendly smile. Don't be alarmed, said the dragon, as a gray wisp of smoke rose lazily from his nostrils. I am not what your father thinks. What are you then, asked the prince, warily drawing his sword as he pulled on the reins of his horse. I am pleasure, said the dragon, ride on my back and you will experience more than you ever imagined. Come now, I have no harmful intentions. I seek a friend, someone to share flights with me. Have you ever dreamed of flying? The vision of soaring above the forested hills drew the prince hesitantly from his horse. The dragon unfurled one great webbed wing to serve as a ramp onto his ridged back. Between the spiny projections, the prince found a secure seat. And the creature snapped his powerful wings twice and launched them to the sky. From then on, he met the dragon often, but secretly, for he could not tell his father or brothers. The prince felt separate from them all. Their concerns were no longer his concerns, even when he wasn't with the dragon. He spent less time with those he loved and more time alone. The skin on the prince's legs became callous from gripping the ridge back of the dragon, and his hands grew rough and hardened. He began wearing gloves to hide the malady. After many nights of riding, he discovered scales growing on the backs of his hands as well. With dread, he realized his fate... Were he to continue, and so he resolved to return no more to the dragon. But after a fortnight, he again sought out the dragon, having been tortured with desire, and so it transpired many times over. No matter what his determination, the prince eventually found himself pulled back, as if by the cords of an invisible web. Silently, patiently, the dragon waited. One cold, moonless night, their excursion became a foray against a sleeping village, torching the thatched roofs with fiery blasts from the nostrils. Swooping in, the serpent belched again flames and engulfed a cluster of screaming villagers. In the pre-dawn hours, when the prince crept back from his dragon trysts, the road outside his father's castle usually remained empty, but tonight, terrified refugees streamed in to the protective walls of the castle. The prince attempted to slip through the crowd, to close himself in his chamber, but one of the survivors stared and pointed out he was there. 
One woman cried out, I saw him on the back of the dragon. Others nodded their heads in angry agreement. Horrified, the prince saw that his father, the king, was there in the courtyard. Banish him, he heard one of his own brothers angrily cry out. Burn him alive, the voices shouted. As the king rose from his throne, blood stains from the wounded shone darkly on his robe. The crowd fell silent, expecting of his degree. The prince, who could no longer bear to look at his father's face, stared at the stone floor. Take off your gloves and tunic, the king commanded. The prince obeyed slowly, dreading what his metamorphosis uncovered before the kingdom would do, what his shame Was his shame not already great enough? He had hoped for a quick death without further humiliation. The king strode towards his son and the prince steeled himself, fully expecting a backhanded blow. Instead, his father embraced him and wept. In shock and disbelief, the prince prince buried his face against his father's shoulders. Do you wish to be freed from the dragon, my son? The prince answered in despair. I wish it many times, but there's no hope for me. Not alone, said the king, you cannot win against the serpent alone. Father, I am no longer your son, I am a half-beast, sobbed the prince. But his father replied, my blood runs in your veins, my nobility has always been stamped deep within your soul. With his face still hidden tearfully in his father's embrace, the prince heard the king instruct the crowd, the dragon is crafty, some fall victim to his wiles and some to his violence. There will be mercy for all who wish to be freed. Who else among you has ridden the dragon? The prince lifted his head to see someone emerge from the crowd. To his amazement, he recognized an older brother, one who had been lauded throughout the kingdom for his onslaughts against the dragon in battle, for his many good deeds. Others came, some weeping, others hanging their heads. And the king embraced them all. This is our most powerful weapon against the dragon, he announced. Truth. No more hidden flights alone. We cannot resist him. The reason why I share the story, and I know at great length, it took a while... I, I think we don't often know how to relate with Legion unless we realize how much like Legion this man who was so overtaken is like us. Um, which one of us is not given into pleasure or desire or sin? And yet it's it, what we want to do instead of crying out for mercy or even knowing how or being the first one to or, or, or sometimes we just feel like, man, if I was just exposed or revealed, then finally I would just be known and finally banished, right? Like, like the prince. And so in agony, I mean, I, I think there have probably been times where all of us can relate with verse five. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones, I think, I think we, we think of these exaggerated cases, but I think for all of us, we have had those lonely nights of the soul where, where we feel like we cry out and we are lost causes. And so how do we become thankful people in that place? And that's the challenge. We, we get on our knees or we go to prayer and we're like, I know I've been given so much, but, but I think that's why Thanksgiving can only follow a cry for mercy, Right? This cry to the, the only one who, knowing that we don't deserve it, knowing that we don't deserve it, that, that maybe he would show his kindness to us. Is it still possible? Is it still for me? And I, I think the response of the prince was so good when, when, when the, the king, the father said, do you want to be free? And he says, many times I have wished it. 
<laughs> I, think, I think so many of us have been that place. So many times I have wished it. Well, what happens in this story in Mark 5 is that Jesus frees the man. And what Jesus says is this. At the very end, when he's getting into the boat and the man has been freed, he begs to follow Jesus. This is verse 19. Jesus says, he did not let him come. He says, go to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Listen, he says, and how he has had mercy on you. How he has had mercy on you. And this is the beginning of the story of mercy. What The question is, what is your story of mercy? And, and so what I'm hoping we can do, if, if you're in a community group that talks about the sermons, is beforehand, I want you to think of these questions. What is your story, the story of the monster, right? And, and what is your story? I can tell you my story. Like, like, if you sit down with me, I can tell you the times I've felt like a monster. Me. And, and also I can tell you of the sto- my story of mercy where, where God in his relentless love has, has continued to show his kindness and goodness to me in Christ Jesus. And that is my good memory that allows me to be thankful with all my past pain and all the things that I'm experiencing in the present moment. And the only way that my heart can turn to thanksgiving is this. If I learn to be the person that's like, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, Jesus. Right? Like, and, and honestly, if you are in that place of life, people around you might get annoyed and they might be like, hey, shut up. <laughs> but you need to, literally, you need to be like, it, to, to be saved, to be rescued, and be a person who's thankful. And I tell you what, um, this is the challenge because I also, I really relate with the story of the older brother in this story, right? In the metaphor where it's like the older brother who's, who's been known of conquering, you know, going out on these amazing adventures that everyone's proud of or, or great deeds, right? And it's hard when you're in, in that place to go, no, you don't get it. Because, and you know why it's so hard to see your heroes need mercy? Or people that you want to be perfect, like your pastor, like I just want them to be better than me, right? The reason why that's hard is because, honestly, it puts us in this really vulnerable spot. Well, if he needs mercy so badly, wow! What does it look like to be a church that literally we, we just know that we need desperately, we desperately need the mercy of God? So, what does it look like to fight cynicism in our culture, in our day? Well, I think it really starts in our hearts. It starts in our hearts being willing to cry out. And there's this time in our lives. Like, when, do you ever read the stories of the, of the Bible and you, you think, how long did that blind man wait for Jesus to walk past him? Or how long did this person, how long did this man, how, how many weeks, months, years did this man live among the stones just waiting for Jesus? And I do not know where you're at. I don't know if you're struggling with fear. I don't know if you're struggling with shame. 
But the invitation for us today is to cry out to God for mercy. To not be the Pharisee who is so proud of ourselves and our spiritual heredity, but to be the tax collector who's saying, Lord, have mercy. The answer is, who goes away justified from that? Well, it's a person who just desperately knows they need Jesus. Um, And what I also want to invite you to in this is, um, I know that we have a hard time relentlessly sharing with one another our need for mercy. Um, I find I have these seasons where like, I go through it and these times where like, I'm good at talking about my need for mercy and other times where I'm just tired of talking about it. Um, but if it's with your community group or maybe just with one other person this week, I really want to challenge you to get honest with somebody about these two stories in your life. What's your story of feeling like a monster? And, and I, that's kind of weird for me to say because I, I like you guys and I don't see you as monsters. But like I know myself and like, man, seriously, like there's times where I have not felt human. Like I don't know what's going on in my heart and I just feel like I'm, my heart's warped, right? And what's my story? Of, what's your story of mercy? And, and maybe you need that person, your safe person who you sit down with to help you cry out to God together. Are to come and be exposed. And that is the beginning of thanksgiving. That is the beginning of thanksgiving. Pray with me. Oh God, I, I thank you that you didn't come for people who are healthy. But you came for... <laughs> you, you took your whole disciples in a boat across a lake to meet this man who everyone had lost lost hope for. God, I think sometimes um, I feel embarrassed to really cry out. I've practiced silence a lot and I pray that that for our church that we will have we will find new breath in our lungs Um, (laughs) survived energy to cry out to you Jesus Son of David, have mercy on us. God, I I just pray this for our church as a whole, that you'll have mercy on us as a church. I pray you'll have mercy on us because we don't always trust you. Sometimes we try to do things our own way and that we hurt ourselves. God, I I also pray for your, your mercy for us because sometimes we're not we're not nice in the way we talk about one another. You've called us to be your people together, to love one another and to lift one another up before you, but we don't do that like we should. So God, we just we seek your face this morning. Um, thank you for the love that you've shown us. Love that we know 
never could ask for and didn't deserve. Thank you for that love you've shown us in Christ Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.